get some visitors here today for the very first time. If you're a visitor and you're here for the very first time, would you stand for a minute? I'm not going to embarrass you beyond that. I'm just going to say stand so we can see who you are. We have a family over here from Texas, right? And you're going to be working at a substation by Slayton. Okay, and they're going to be in town for about seven months. Okay, how many of you would like to see them back here regularly? All right, we're glad you're here. Say hi to Texas if you ever get back there, okay? You notice they have a few kids to share, okay? We are glad you're here. Thank you. You may be seated. Anybody else that's here for the very first time? Okay, the rest of you, you're regulars, okay. Now you know that I'm not Pastor Yoder. Pastor Yoder is the senior guy. He's the man in charge here. So if you don't like what I do this morning, then take it up with him. But uh, he is over in Grenada having fun, and I get the privilege to share the morning message with you this morning. While you're turning in your Bibles to uh, Proverbs chapter 11, verse number 30, that's where we'll start this morning. I had a bunch of handouts. Children's Church, by the way, I was just told that all the little kids who don't want to... Remember, there's an age limit there. So Luke, Luke, you're not a child. You've got to stay here. Okay, Luke is trying to escape. All right. <coughs> Before I uh, read Proverbs 11.30 and get started, somebody has uh, written a their own interpretation of the 1 Corinthians 13. You all know 1 Corinthians 13, that's the, the love chapter of the Bible. And uh, here's what they write. <coughs> though I speak with the tongues of scholarship, and though I use approved methods of education, and I fail to win my pupils to Christ, I am become as a cloud of mist in an open sea, as the moan of the wind in the Syrian desert. And though I have the best teaching skills and understand all mysteries of religious psychology, and though I have all biblical knowledge and love not myself in the task of winning others to Christ, I am become as a vapor on a warm summer morning. And though I read all Sunday school literature and I attend Sunday school conventions and institutes and summer schools, and yet am satisfied with less than winning my pupils to Christ and establishing them in Christian character and service, it profiteth me nothing. The soul-winning teacher, the character-building teacher, suffereth long and is kind. He envieth not others who are free from the teaching task. He vaunteth not himself, is not puffed up with intellectual pride. Such a teacher doth not behave unseemly between Sundays seeketh not his own comfort, is not easily provoked. He beareth all things, believeth all things, and hopeth all things. And now abideth knowledge, methods, evangelism, these three. But the greatest of these is evangelism. In Proverbs chapter 11 and verse number 30, we read this. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. The fruit, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of being here this morning. I count it a great honor and a great privilege to be in the pulpit and pastor's behalf and share your truth with these dear people. 
Lord, I pray you'd bless them richly for getting up this morning and starting a cold car and getting their kids ready for church and making it here. I pray, Lord, that when they leave church, they will be thankful that they spent time in your house this morning. I pray especially, Lord, that you would supply my every need, help my throat not to tickle too much so that I can speak properly. <coughs> Give these people spirit-filled ears that they might hear properly and give all of us a diligence to try to win others to you in the weeks and the months ahead. We'll thank you as you give us the help we so desperately need in Christ's name. Amen. I did hand out worksheets this morning. I ran out of them, so if you absolutely have to have one, then raise your hand, and if you have $20, I'm sure somebody will bring you a sheet, okay? You can give them $20, you can have their sheet. But uh, really, my outline this morning is really quite simple. Uh, first of all, I'm going to share with you the gripe, and then I'm going to share with you the gospel, and then I'm going to share with you my goal in all of this, the gripe and the gospel and the goal. Now, I am not Joel Haynes. Uh, last Sunday, we had a snowstorm. The crowds were pretty small, but several of you made it out Monday night and Tuesday night. I think Joel Haynes preached on Monday, and Jim Stalkup preached on Tuesday. By the way, the literature that Jim Stalkup left regarding Muslims is on the back table. It's excellent literature. And if you have a neighbor or a friend or coworker that's Muslim, you need to take that literature and read it. It will help you a lot. But uh, Joel Haynes was a fireball. I mean, he's like 35 years old, and he's just like a bumblebee when he preaches. Now, I hope you don't have your hopes up this morning that I'm going to preach like a bumblebee. That will not happen, okay? I kind of preach like a turtle, okay? Just, just kind of crawl along. But uh, I'm thankful for the variety of preachers the Lord has brought into my life. But I'd rather, uh, more than anything, just give you my heart as a, as a preacher. Now, a few weeks back, we had, a, we had an annual meeting, and the pastor and, and the deacons had suggested that I write a little report on how I've behaved the last year. Well, somehow that report did not get in the paper. Uh, so I want to read you that little paragraph about my time and service here the last 14 months. It says this, over the past 14 months, Lynn and I have purposed to be found faithful in several areas while ministering with the good folks from Bible Baptist. Besides teaching Sunday school, sharing a prayer prompter on Wednesday evenings, and filling the pulpit when Pastor Yoder is away, our involvement with prime timers has been a real blessing and a challenge to us. Bible Baptist Church has the greatest group of nice seniors on the planet. This is where you old timers say amen. <laughs> we are anxious in a good way to see how the Lord will bless our involvement in the year to come. We simply ask the church body to pray regularly and fervently for spiritual growth, physical health concerns, and for the zeal of the Lord to continue showing us great and mighty things while we serve together in unity for his glory. Our hope for 2020 is for more souls won to Christ, more maturity and wisdom for all of us, and a profound sense of his soon return to motivate our efforts. Lynn and I are so thankful for each person the Lord has brought our way. It is such a great privilege to serve here. And I just want you to know as I start with my gripe, point number one, that in my service here, I really, I really, really wish more people in the last 14 months had come to know the Lord. 
I really, really wish that more souls had been saved and more souls had been reached. <coughs> I really, really wish that I could share more effectively the, uh, the hymn that I'm looking for right now. You know, you think you're nervous, you should be up here. I usually have all my notes together. I can't find that, can't find that song. It's in your hymn book, so you'll just have to read it later. Oh, I think I can find it. I think it's right here. No, it's not there. Okay, well, I blew that one, okay? But I do want to apologize for not seeing more souls saved. You say, well, Pastor, that's not your business. That's the Lord that does that. Well, it kind of is my business. I mean, if I'm not reaching them, how can I expect you to reach them? I mean, you pay me to be good. And you folks are good for free. I was going to say good for nothing, but that didn't sound right. So I... <laughs> <laughs> you 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 give me a paycheck so that I might serve you faithfully and effectively and when souls aren't one to Christ it it troubles me and it troubles me a lot now if we really are this is Roman number one for those of you that are taking notes if we really are in search of wisdom and in search of pleasing the Lord those are your two words wisdom and pleasing the Lord then we've got to be understanding of this Bible principle that we need to win souls to have wisdom. And we need to win souls if we're going to please the Lord. And if we're not doing that, then we're just in a maintenance mode and we're just feeding ourselves without reaching out to others. In Daniel chapter 12 and verse number 3, it says in relationship to winning souls being wise, it says, and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Now there are, I counted in our hymn book, approximately 35 hymns that deal with the reaching of the lost. A rescue the perishing, must I go and empty-handed, give me a passion for souls, and on and on the list goes. We shouldn't be singing those songs without trying to reach those people. I, can't, I can reach a few because I know a few, but all of us collectively, we can reach a bunch if we work together and have this same spirit. I really believe it's important that the world sees us as Christians and the world sees the Christ that we are trying to serve and the Christ that we are trying to share with others. The songwriter says, this is the sheet I was looking for earlier. The songwriter says this in page 387 of your hymn book, or actually 532. Must I go and empty handed? You know, I'm 71 years old. In my office, I was going to bring it out. I have a yardstick. And on that yardstick, each half an inch represents a year. So you have 36 inches. A half an inch per year, that's 72 inches total. I have a yardstick, and then on the back of the yardstick, I've got these segments of my life that I have lived. You know, 0 to 5, 5 to 12, 12 to 20, and on and on. And when you get to the end of the yardstick, there's 72, 72 half inches, or 36 inches. And I'm in the last half an inch. And some of you are in the last half an inch. And some of you are beyond the yardstick. 
And those of us that are beyond the yardstick, we don't we don't have much time left. And uh, I don't know about you, but I don't want to go to heaven empty-handed. I want to have not something. I want to have someone that I can say, Lord, I did my best to win that one. The songwriter says, must I go on empty-handed, thus my dear Redeemer meet? Not one day of service give him and lay no trophy at his feet. Not at death I shrink nor falter, for my Savior saves me now. But to meet him empty-handed, thought of that now clouds my brow. Oh, the years in sinning wasted, could I but recall them now, I would give them to my Savior, to his will I'd gladly bow. O ye saints, arouse and be earnest, up and work while yet tis tis day. Ere the night of death overtake thee, strive for souls while still you may. And the chorus, must I go and empty handed, must I meet my Savior so, not one soul with which to greet him, must I empty handed go. I don't want that to be true of my life, that I went through life without sharing Christ with other people. An aged farmer visited his son who had become a popular senator in Washington, D.C. The farmer was a zealous Christian, and when he was introduced to the ambassador from Belgium, the first thing he asked the ambassador, he said, Sir, are you a Christian? His son, the senator, was greatly embarrassed by this question. Before the ambassador could reply, the son, that would be the, the uh, senator, the son changed the conversation. Shortly thereafter, the grandfather became ill, and after a while he died. Hearing of his death, the ambassador of Belgium, hearing of his death, the ambassador of Belgium sent him flowers. A note attached to the flowers brought tears to the eyes of the senator. The note simply read, he was the only man in America who asked me if I was a Christian. He was the only man in America who asked me if I was a Christian. You know, I thought for years that people didn't want to hear the gospel because they just weren't hungry. I think fundamentally the biggest reason they don't want to hear the gospel is they're lost. They're hungry and they don't know it. They're thirsty and they don't know it. They're lost and they don't know it. They're blind and they don't know it. And they're on their way to hell and they don't know it. And God has left you and I here that we might simply ask them, are you a believer? Are you a Christian? Now, I've always been little bit guilty in my own heart because I'm not more ambitious in this area and I don't want you to leave with that guilt I want to give you something to share so my second point is the gospel my gripe is that I'm not winning enough people and I feel like I don't have much time left and I want to do more that's my gripe the gospel that I want to share the the, the two answers there for your paper are you really prepared And are you really willing to share the gospel? 
Take your Bible and go to John chapter 3 with me. And maybe you've seen this passage a million times. And maybe you've, you're tired of hearing it. Well, you can rest on this. The lost have never heard it. And you may be tired of hearing it. You may be tired of the preacher saying, hey, come on, get out there and win some souls. You might be tired of hearing that, but they haven't heard it. And they need to hear it. And so if, you're, if you want a good place to start with a lost person, just remember John 3. The most quoted verse in the Bible is John 3.16. Most of us know that by memory. But if you can just remember John 3, you have enough information to start sharing the gospel with somebody. In John chapter 3, the first seven verses, Jesus tells a very wise, a very religious leader, Nicodemus, not once, not twice, not three times, but he tells him four times, Nicodemus, you have to have two birthdays. And when you talk to somebody about the Lord, just have them read those first seven verses. Look at verse number three. Jesus answered Nicodemus and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again. That's once. The passage, the verse says, if he doesn't get born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. People who are not born again will never understand the Bible. People who are not born again will never see heaven. People that are not born again are going to spend an eternity in hell. In fire. On fire. Burning forever. And forever. And forever. And forever. And you and I know that terror, and because we know it, we need to win others. They don't know it. They don't believe this book. But you know it. And it ought to be real to us. It says in verse number 5, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. That's the natural birth and the spiritual birth. That's two times Jesus says you got to be born again. Look at verse 5, or verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's one birthday. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That's two birthdays. That's three times he's told Nicodemus you need to be born twice. Look at verse 7. Marvel not that I said unto thee you must be born again. That's four times. In seven verses. How many birthdays have you had? Just ask them. You know, don't ask them if they're a believer or if they're born again because they usually say yes to that. Say, how many times have you been born? Once or twice? If they say twice, say, tell me about it. If they can't say twice, then keep showing, keep reading, keep sharing with them. You say, well, I don't know what to share. You know, when I first started leading people to Christ, I didn't have the foggiest idea what to say. I didn't have the foggiest idea how to share. But I found out that most gospel tracts tell it quite well. And most gospel tracts have a good prayer on the back. This is one you, that our church gives out, how to be 100% sure of heaven. It walks you through the entire plan of salvation in four or five pages. And then when you get to the very end, it has a prayer. And even though I wasn't sure what to say and how to say it, I would sit with the person and I'd say, well, if you'd like to be a Christian, why don't you pray this prayer with me? And then I would just read it. I would have a track in front of me and I would say, okay, repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I believe that I'm a sinner. And he'd say that. That I deserve death and hell as the penalty for my sin. And he'd say that. And that I can't save myself or earn salvation by my good deeds. But I believe that you are God and the Messiah and the Savior who loved me and died to pay my death penalty. 
that you were buried and rose again from the dead and that only you can save me. I repent in my heart. I get them to say that and want to obey you the best way I can with your help. So right now, Jesus, and then I pause and I let them say that. I call on you to save me from to save my soul from death and give me the free gift of eternal life in heaven. Thank you for saving me and help me understand my Bible and read it daily. Amen. Now, when they have said that, they have made a profession of faith. They professed it to me. Are they truly saved in their heart? <laughs> I don't know. That's not my department. It's God's business to save the soul. It's my business to be the mailman and give them the news. Give them the good news of the gospel. That's my business. The Lord's business is saving their wretched soul and giving them a home in heaven. But the least I could do is read a prayer that will help them. Read the gospel to them if you're not sure what to share and then pray with them. Now, what else we need to understand is our willingness. Uh, did I give you the two words there? Are we really prepared and willing to share the gospel? In John chapter 3, <coughs> the word must is mentioned twice, and it's mentioned again in, in chapter 4. The first time it's mentioned in John chapter 3 is verse 7. You must be born again. So if somebody says they're saved, it's obvious they've got to be born again. If they're not born again the Bible way, then they're not born again. And you just need to work on that. It's not a matter of going to church. It's not a matter of being nice. It's not a matter of driving a good car. I knocked on the door of a lady in Bemidji, Minnesota, and I said, Ma'am, if you died, would you go to heaven? She says, I teach Sunday school. I said, I didn't ask you if you taught Sunday school. I said, ma'am, if you died today, would you go to heaven? She says, well, I attend this church. I said, I didn't ask you which church you attended. I said, if you died, would you go to heaven? She says, well, I've been to Israel. I said, I didn't ask you if you've been to Israel. She could not say that she was born again the Bible way, even though she taught Sunday school, had been to Israel, and felt as if she was a Christian. She could not answer that question. So you continue to preach the gospel to them. Are you born again? That's the first question. Are you saved? The second one here is found in verse number 30. Look at verse number 30 of John chapter 3. John the Baptist writing here says, He must increase, but I must decrease. Are you willing to put self aside and serve the Savior? The biggest reason people do not get saved is they're convinced within themselves that's all they need. They're in charge. They're the boss. They'll do what they want to do. Their self has the throne on instead of the Lord having the throne on, the Lord having the crown on his life. It's either the self or the Savior. There's only two choices on the shelf. We serve God or we serve ourselves. That's it. If we're serving God, good chance we're saved. We're on our way to heaven. If we're serving ourselves, excellent chance we still need to be saved. He must increase. I must decrease. That's a good sermon. You'll see it a fourth time mentioned in chapter 4, just over a half a page here. Look at chapter 4 and verse number 4. He must needs go through Samaria. Not only do we need to realize we're saved and that we're in second place and the Lord's in first place, we need to realize that God is sending us to a Samaria. Now remember, Samaria was enemy territory for Jesus. It was not the friendliest place to move to. It would be like you and I moving to Baghdad and wearing our American flag on the back of our jacket. 
not a healthy long lifespan if you were to do that. All of us have a Samaria, and our Samaria are the lost people out there. They don't like us. They take our Lord's name in vain. They curse him. They ignore him. They insult him. And they laugh at you for believing in him. That's your Samaria. And Jesus said, I must needs go to Samaria. Are you willing to go? Are you willing when you leave church today, try to reach somebody with the gospel of Jesus Christ? What's the uh, enrollment out there at SDSU? I don't know. 50,000, I don't think it's that high, but it's probably all of 5,000. Is it about 5,000, 3,000, 11,000? Really? God has brought 11,000 college students to this community. We see them all the time. Just go to Walmart and park there like I do all the time while I'm waiting for my wife, or go to Starbucks and park there and wait for your wife. But just look at all the international students going in and out of those stores. We need to be like that old farmer and just give him a track. Are you saved? Are you a Christian? Who knows what the Lord might do with that little track? Are you sure you're saved? Are you sure you're serving? Are you sure you're in second place? And then look at verse 24 of John chapter 4. <coughs> God is a spirit. and They that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So after you give the person the plan of salvation, after you've told them these four must Verses in John chapter 3 and 4. You must be born again. God must increase and I must decrease. We must go to Samaria. And then we've got to serve him in spirit and in truth. Verse 24. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Do you have the spirit controlled correct attitude for living as a believer? Now when you've told them how to be saved and you've told them how to live, then you have to set a goal and you have to reach it. That's my third point and my final point. You say, well, it's too early. We can't get out this early. Pastor Yoder wouldn't like it. Well, he's not here, so. When I'm done, I'm done. <laughs> and uh, we're going to go home. But I feel guilty that more people aren't saved. I do know the gospel, and, and most of you do too. We need to be willing to share it. So we need to set a goal. Are we really serious about the value of a soul? These are the answers to Roman numeral three. Are we really serious about the value of a soul and bringing glory to our Savior? Turn, if you would, to chapter Mark, or Mark chapter eight. Mark chapter eight. Let's look at verses 36 and 37. Mark chapter 8, <coughs> verses 36 and 37. If you're glad you're here this morning, say amen. If you're still awake, say amen. If you'd rather be here than in a hospital, say amen. Me too. Look at verse 36, Mark chapter 8. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, 
you may not feel like you're of great value to God's ministry, but God thinks you are. In fact, he values you so much that he's left that he's let you live today. He values you so much that he's going to let you live a few more days. But as we're learning, as we watch the news, we never know who's going to be gone by tomorrow. From 5 to 75, they die left and right all around us. God places a great value on our soul. And what he wants us to do is place great value on the souls of others. What good does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Now you may think the drunk that lives across from you who's dying of cancer, you may think good for him. That's what he gives, that's what he gets for living an ungodly life. You may think that, but God loves him just as much as he loves you. You, you may think that little boy and girl that's been breaking your fence and throwing rocks at your windows and you may think that his soul isn't worth too much but God does we sometimes we call them trailer trash and sometimes we call them people that have no value and you know the low lifers well they have a soul and their soul is extremely valuable to the Lord and your soul is valuable to the Lord and God has asked you to be the mailman to deliver him the goods to deliver him the gospel but if we think their soul has no value, then we have no desire to reach them. We have no motivating force to cause us to go and visit them and share the gospel with them. Go to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And look at verse number 7. <coughs> Luke 15 and verse number 7. I say unto you, it's really hard sometimes to read the verse without looking a little bit at the pretext. <coughs> They've drawn near to the publicans and sinners in verse 1. The Pharisees and scribes are murmuring in verse 2. The Lord speaks his parable unto them, saying, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost when he find it? Till he find it, verse 5. And when he hath found it, he layeth on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, <coughs> Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Now look at verse 7. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. The Lord is more interested in your neighbor being saved. He's more interested in that than anything because he places high value on a soul. And sometimes we think he's more interested in our, in our good works and in our faithfulness and our, in our willingness to be obedient. We put that above the value of a soul. And so we fail to reach out. And what we need to do is realize that there's going to be a lot of rejoicing in heaven over one person that repents.
truly get saved than over 99 who need no repentance. You know, we all have friends, uh, contrary to what the statistics say, the statistics say that you have about 100 people that know you. You have about 100 people that like you enough to come to your funeral. You don't have thousands and thousands, you know, these movie stars and actors and these athletes, they say they've got 9 million friends on Facebook. Well, good for them. When they die, about 100 people are going to come to their funeral too because the rest of them are not going to be interested in them anymore. But all of us have a friend. And if I were to ask you to raise your hand, do you have a friend that you know they're on their way to hell? Probably all of you would raise your hand. Well, at least get your get their blood off your hands and give them something. When their birthday comes, give them a something in a, in a track. At least give them the gospel in a track form. You can take your friend to heaven with you. You can take his soul to heaven with you. All the other stuff, all the other fluff just stays. You remember the message, I think it was on Monday night, what's in your wagon? What's in your wagon? Is it full of stuff or is it full of souls? I want to be about the business of winning souls to Christ. I want to be about the business of helping others win their friends and neighbors and coworkers to Christ. I want to do all I can to help you. And I want you to do all you can to, to pray for me. You know, I've always been greatly burdened by the millions and millions of babies that have been aborted in our country. And it's always amazing to me how the Lord works. The Lord says, you guys aren't getting off the hook over there in the United States. I'm not letting you off the hook. I'm going to send people from Mexico and I'm going to send people from the Middle East and I'm going to send people from all over the world to your country. Why do you think he is sending them here? He's not just sending them here so that they can spend our tax dollars. He's not just sending them here so they can be criminals. He's sending them here so you and I can give them the gospel. And I really believe that. And uh, I really believe the main reason we're being swamped by all these groups from all these other countries is because the Lord wants to see them saved and then get good and grounded and go back to their home countries and reproduce Christ and their people from their land. That's what I believe is happening. <coughs> and I want to be a part of that. And I hope that you do as well. One of the other 35 songs that's in your hymn book goes like this. Give me a passion for souls, dear Lord, a passion to save the lost. Oh, that thy love were all by all adored and welcomed at any cost. Jesus, I long, I long to be winning men who are lost and constantly sinning. Oh, may this hour be one of beginning, the story of pardon to tell. And then verse 3, how shall this passion for souls be mine? Lord, make thou the answer clear. Help me to throw out the old lifeline to those who are struggling near. Jesus, I long, I long to be winning. Men who are lost and constantly sinning. Oh, may this hour be one of beginning, the story of pardon to tell.
there's no shortage of lost people in the Brookings area. They are all over this community. God wants to use us. Go get them. Do what we can and let Christ do what we can't. And that's save their soul. Let's stand and have a word of prayer.